This is Mike Roth. Welcome to the Open Forum in the Villages podcast. In this show, we're going to talk to leaders in the community, leaders of clubs, and interesting folks who live here in the villages to give perspective of what's happening here in the villages and information that I think all villagers should have. We hope to add a new episode most Fridays at 9 o'clock. This is Mike Roth on Open Forum in the Villages. I'm here today with Tweet Coleman. Tweet, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me, Mike. Tweet, a little bit about your background. I know that you were an airline pilot for some of your career. How many years were you a pilot? Uh, I think forever, Mike. Forever? Yeah, forever. And before that, you were a nurse. I was. I was an operating room nurse. Okay. So how does an operating room nurse become an airline pilot? (laughs) Well, when I was young, I um, lived in a neighborhood where there are all boys. And I would look up to the sky. And this was in Ohio, Louisville, Ohio, to be exact. I looked up to the sky, and I saw these airplanes flying over. And I told the boys, because it was basically all boys, I said, you know, I want to fly one of those uh, one day. And they laughed at me. They said, you'll never fly one of those, but maybe you could be a flight attendant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I've always wanted to fly. It was just innate. Mm -hmm. And what was the first plane you flew in? A DC-3. And what's so cool about that is... Wait a minute, wait a minute. DC-3, that was the two-engine propeller plane? Yeah, commercially, it was the first airplane I flew in. Right. We were in Puerto Rico. My husband was in the Navy, and DC-3s were flying the islands, so Mm -hmm. I applied. And I was just so fortunate to fly the old Goonie Bird, as we said, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a a fellow in the Porsche Club who cut the, the nose off a... DC-3, uh-huh. and put it on a trailer. It keeps it in his garage. It's a complete cockpit of a DC-3. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd he like to see it, to, it. Yeah, maybe we should have him bring it to a Mercedes-Benz club. I'd meeting. like to see that, yeah. Yeah, but something to do in the spring. <laughs> so what was the transition from being a nurse to being an airline pilot? Well, I became a nurse because my mother always wanted to be a nurse, and she couldn't for various reasons. So you know how sometimes the kids, at least back then, live out their parents' dreams. So I said, no, mom, I'll be a nurse. She was so excited. So I went to nurses training, but in the back of my mind, I always wanted to be a pilot. So then uh, the way I got jet hours is I contacted this medevac company and I said, "Um, I'd like to fly right seat, you know, as a co-pilot. And he said, well, what we really need is a nurse. And I said, well, by golly, I'm a nurse too. And so we made a deal. And so I would be a ambulance nurse going to the hospital. But then when we would come back to the hospital, they let me jump up in the right seat and I was a co-pilot. Oh, very cool. cool. Yeah, cool. it was cool. So I always got to put a joke into, into the show for oh, good. Uh, my grandson, Evan. And this is kind of a, an aviation joke. What is fast, loud, and crunchy? Woody Woodpecker. Not too close. <laughs> A rocket chip. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> okay. So how long ago did you leave being a pilot for a airline? Basically, I flew the DC-3 and built up hours. And then uh, we were living in Guam. Husband was working at the Naval Hospital. And I looked up the airline there was 
continental Air Micronesia. Mm -hmm. So I flew for them for many, many years. And then in the mid-80s or so, Continental went Chapter 11. Maybe you remember that? Vividly, yes. Yes. And then I I hung on. But then the second time it went Chapter 11, I said, well, I could see the writing on the wall. So I knew the Federal Aviation Administration there in Honolulu. So I went over and asked him if I could uh, be an inspector with them. And mm-hmm. they just rolled out the red carpet and they said, sure, come on. So that's when I transitioned from being a pilot full-time to a Federal Aviation Administrator inspector. Okay, good. Now, in today's world, after the COVID lockdowns are over, uh, how safe really is air travel? <laughs> you know, Mike, I get that question. I, I would say every day, uh, how safe is it to travel? Well, I think it's very safe right now. However, we must have some precautions, and the precautions start with us. And I advise people to wear a mask, the N95 mask, whenever they go to the airport and whenever they're in the airplane, and to stand, uh, you know, a few feet away from everybody. And and the usual things, avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Now, you know, people say, hey, Tweet, where should I sit? And just think about it, Mike. If you were going on an airplane, you'd want to sit where you have the least resistance with other passengers, right? What do you mean by resistance? Well, rather than sit in that aisle seat, my husband loves to sit in the aisle seat because he said it's close to the bathroom, right? (laughs) So do I. I love the aisle seat. (laughs) Well, actually... During COVID times or post-COVID times, I suggest that you sit by the window because you won't have all that traffic coming down, you know, trying to find their seat and they have the baggage and their luggage and so on. You'll be kind of void of all that if you sit next to the window. So I think right now that's probably your best place for the least resistance of getting contamination, let us say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've always found that I need a winter coat when I sit next to the window and I... (laughs) In a jet. <laughs> and you know what else I tell people? Uh, Mike, be self-sufficient. That is, bring your own food, bring your own drink, bring your own blanket, for heaven's sakes, because even if they have blankets on the airplane, 20 other people used them that day. So mm-hmm. be total self-sufficient so you don't have to ask for anything. You reduce all that anxiety by, you know, wanting something. It's just a, a better ride. You feel more comfortable. Yeah, unfortunately, you have to buy the food and the beverages at one of the overpriced freshman stands in the uh, airport after security. <laughs> you know, I always tell people, I'm kind of a Scottish maybe, take a bottle with you, just empty it out, then whenever you clear security, then you can fill the bottle up with, you know, your favorite uh, beverage. Mine is just tap water, really. Never thought of it that way. <laughs> to each their own. <laughs> yes. Okay. And as a way for people to calm down when they fly, because there are a lot of people who get extremely nervous. Oh, yes. Besides having an adult beverage, mm-hmm. what is the next best thing that someone could do? Well, meditation. It's been proven over and over again scientifically that meditation is important for us for everything we do in any area, but especially in flying. I refer to meditation as the ultimate jet leg buster. It's pretty demanding on our bodies when you think about it that here we are in a tin can flying along at 37,000 feet, you know, the toll that takes on our body. And if we just sit there for a few minutes, and I'm saying like five minutes or so, and close your eyes or put your head down and meditate, 
And people say, well, I don't know how to meditate. Well, one thing you can do that we all do all the time is if you just sit there quietly, take three big breaths and think about your breathing and focus entirely on your breathing. Because when you focus on your breathing, then you are in control because you are in control of your breath. You're in control of your breathing and you can just relax down so easily that way. So meditation is uh, ultimate jet lag buster. <laughs> mm -hmm. Is there anything else that someone could do besides meditation? Yeah. In addition to, you mean? <laughs> or in, in place of. <laughs> okay. Well, one thing is to keep circulation moving. So, you know, get up about every hour, definitely every two hours, and just walk up and down the aisle. That will inc increase the oxygen in your, in your body and your veins and so on. And then stay hydrated. And I, I say stay hydrated with water really, because if you drink the sodas, that's a diuretic. You know, if you drink alcohol on the ground, it's about three times more at 37,000 feet. You feel it three times more. So, you know, maybe a drink is fine, but I, I don't think anymore. Could you just live with one drink, Mike? Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> I personally like to have water uh, oh, on good. the plane. Oh, I love it. Uh, and occasionally a club soda. I don't like the sh drinks with sugar in them. <laughs> the other thing that I I drink is tomato juice. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. And that's worked for me for many years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever has worked for you, you know, is the best way. But again, be self-sufficient. Bring all your things you, you need. And people say, where should I sit in the, in the airplane? Well... The most stable air area in an airplane is over the wing. And you can understand that because over the wing, you have the center of gravity. So if you want a real comfortable flight, think about staying uh, over the wing. Now, if you're like... That's in the center. In, it's yes. like at a cruise ship. You know, you want to be on a lower deck in the center of the ship. Okay. So that you get the least moment of inertia as mm. the ship moves. Mm. Well, if you're like my kids, I flew the 747. I was so lucky to fly the 747 all over, all over the world. And my kids, whenever they were flying with me, we call it non-revving, they would always want to sit in the back because in a 747, you know, it's like a fishtail in the back. So you get all the turbulence and all, and they just love that. So it kind of depends on what you like whenever you're at 37,000 feet. Oh, yeah. We used to call that an e-ticket seat in the old Disneyland reference. <laughs> well, where the most uh, right. fastest rides were e-tickets when they were doing it that way. Yeah, yeah. Another thing, Mike, is important to think about is if you're getting dental work, you want to, you know, regular cleaning is not that big of a deal. However, if you're getting some dental work that would involve working around your nerves in your mouth, your root canal or, you know. Something any, like a root canal yeah. or a uh, crown. Oh, yes, yes, both of those. You'd want to do that at least a week ahead of time to get that uh, area settled down because when you go up in altitude, for every 1,000 feet you climb, you lose three degrees in temperature. Plus, whenever an airplane is pressurized at, eight, at um, 37,000 feet, it's about 8,000 pressurized to six to 8,000 feet. So there's a lot of pressure changes. And if you have some dental work, boy, that's going to be major discomfort. 
I've never heard that before. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Another thing is if if somebody has some discomfort is suck on a non-sugar candy. So those little candies, you know, you just kind of suck on that or get the gum, the non-sugar gum and, and chew on that, especially on takeoff and landing if you chew yeah, on the gum heard, and candies. Mm-hmm. I've heard that's very good for popping of the ears. Absolutely. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. That's that's really good. Now, there's a million airlines out there these days. How does one pick best airline to fly on? Uh, this is one of my favorite topics, Mike. Actually, when you look at an airplane, like a car, it has a number on. In a car, we call it our license plate. On an airplane, on both sides of the airplane, it'll be 16 inches high because that's what the Federal Aviation Administration wants it, and it's called the registration of the airplane. Now, it's not the long registration number. This registration would be typically four to five numbers and letters or just numbers or letters or however, but all of the airplanes that are registered in the United States, all the airplanes start with the, the letter N for November. So if you see November 2356, you know that that's a U.S. airplane. And ideally, that's the best airplane in the world to fly because we have higher standards. Okay. So I'm booking a, a, a reservation. I want to fly, say, from Orlando to London. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the airplane is going to be until just before boarding. How do you tell? Well, Typically, you can, uh, you know, if it's going from Orlando to London, and you're probably going to go into Gatwick because that's usually the airport that they Mm -hmm. use, and Gatwick has one runway in London. It's crazy. But anyway, you would be going that way. Typically, they use one type or one model airplane for those routes. And if you Google, let's say, for instance, it's a Boeing uh, 757. Mm -hmm. If you Google Boeing 757 seating arrangement, you would be able to tell where you are, or you would be able to tell reservations where you want to sit. But it's really all online right now. Mm-hmm. So there would be a difference between a Delta airline plane from Orlando to London and a Virgin Atlantic plane. Yeah, yeah. Even if they're both the same 757. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, They're the same airplane. You'd think in the cockpit they would use the same checklist, wouldn't you? Sure, it's the same manufacturer. <laughs> You'd think so. However, each airline uses their own checklist. Now, predominantly, 85, 87% of the checklist will be similar from one airplane to the other. However, each airline has just little different techniques or different modalities. So um, you have to learn the airline you're flying with if you're a pilot, what, what, they, what they want, actually. Mm-hmm. So would you say it's safer to fly on an American flag airline than a, uh, a European flagged airline? Well, what I'm really saying is that the November registered airplanes are FAA certified, Federal Aviation Administration certified. Therefore, we have the most checks in the industry, in the globe. And that's why I think that actually uh, we are the safest after I left Continental, I spent 22 years with the Federal Aviation Administration, so I really got to learn behind the curtain, if you will, <laughs> of what goes on. And it is amazing 
the checks and balances that we do with the November registered airplanes versus other airlines. Now, there's some good foreign airlines. Emirates, by the way, is our favorite airline, and they have a wonderful safety record, and, and so does Qatar. You know, that little island of Qatar, they're number one in airline safety. So there's a lot of other ones that are very good. However, uh, if you have a choice, fly the November registered airplanes. And that's all the Delta, Uniteds, you know, all the major airlines. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to South America, you would still look for an American airline as opposed to picking up a Brazilian airline, let's say? I would. And, yeah, if, and if anybody asked me, yes, I would. Going to Africa, I spent 2002, the whole year in Africa, and we would always fly down on Delta because Delta is a big feeder into the 54 countries they have in Africa. But yeah, I would always fly. You know, Mike, think about some of the accidents we've had in the last decade or so. We have not had a November registered commercial airline accident. Mm -hmm. That's pretty impressive. But if you think about some of the accidents that have happened, sadly, uh, we don't want any accidents to happen, right? But sadly, those were foreign carriers. So they had the pilots were not trained like we are. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a for instance, okay? A pilot in the right seat of a U.S. November registered airplane mm -hmm. has to have a minimum of 1,500 hours. That means he or she flew for 1,500 hours in various airplanes to be even qualified. That's the minimum. Foreign airplanes, some of those pilots sitting in the right seat, well-intentioned pilots, but they may only have 280, 300 hours. Mm. So there's a different level of experience in a different airline. Different standards, yeah. yes. So, so Tweet, can you tell our listeners what the difference between an incident is and an accident is. Sure. Uh, incidents is where there are no fatalities. There, there are incidences that happen. An airplane will run off the runway. Sadly, maybe there'll be a fire in one of the engines, but all of the passengers got out safely and so on. There are no fatalities. So those are aviation incidents. Now, an accident is where they'll have fatalities. And the last accident we had in the U.S. was in February 2009. Maybe you remember that colon crash that we had up in Buffalo? Uh, sadly, they killed 49 passengers on board plus the pilots. But that is the last U.S. accident that we had in the United States. So, well, that's a nine, what, what is that, uh, 23 years or something? Mm -hmm. That's uh, pretty good. Yeah. Did they... 13 years. Th Ever 13 years. With... Watch my math. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Did the FAA ever come up with a uh, decisive reason why they had that crash in the Buffalo area? No, I, I, don't, I don't think they ever did. But, you know, you mentioned a good thing is any, anybody that wants to find out or research any airplane incidences or crashes or fatalities, all they have to do is to go online, and it's the National Transportation Safety Board, ntsb.gov, and they can just put in the search bar whatever they're searching for. In fact, a lot of guys, you know, Mike, if they're going to buy an airplane, they'll put the airplane tail number, the one I told you that all the airplanes have, they'll put that on the NTSB website, and they'll find out if that has been in an accident 
uh, before they buy it. So or, it's kind of cool. Or an incident. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Right. The, uh, I lived in Cincinnati for 25 years before coming to the villages. Mm-hmm. And GE Jet Engines was based in Cincinnati. Yep. And there was a lot of talk about fatigue of turbine blades and how they diagnosed them prior to failure. Mm-hmm. In fact, at one point, they actually went through the Delta Refer rebuild facility at uh, CVG. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting how they rebuild the landing gear and the engines r- right there on the airport uh, grounds. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure they're doing their research on that. It's interesting whenever you uh, watch them. Uh, it's like almost medicine. They'll bring in their x-ray machines and they x-ray the blades if it's a prop airplane or they'll bring in other types of x-ray looking equipment for the engines. All very cool. Very interesting. Yeah. You know, if I may, I'd like to get this statistic out, okay? Sure. Get, get us, <laughs> hit us with some th- Here statistics. Here we go. <laughs> uh, Harvard University. You know that little school, Harvard, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, little Ivy League place. <laughs> Harvard Research has done a lot of studies about the uh, fatalities in airplanes. That's kind of their forte for whatever reason. And just as of this week, Harvard put out a study that says the chances of an aircraft accident being fatal are 1 in 11 million. Mm -hmm. Chances of dying in a car crash is 1 in Mm 5,000. That just sort of speaks volumes uh, to, to people. Now, if you're in an airplane, you encounter somebody that has some anxiety, a fear of flying, don't give them that statistic because that's the last thing they want to hear because they know that's true, but it's the last thing they want to hear about. They want to... Well, you can say more people die in cars than in airplanes. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, statistically, again, we have 5,670 flights a day. This is an average. 5,670 U.S airplanes flying within the United States every day. And, you know, some of those airplanes have 100 people. Some have 350 people, right? Right. So it's pretty safe. Now, at your job at the FAA, you sat in that little jump seat in the cockpit. Yeah, many times. And you you did that many times. How many times did you see the pilots doing something totally wrong? It was rare. It was rare. Those pilots are professional and it was really rare. But you see, when you sit in the jump seat as an FAA inspector, you're watching the procedures and you're watching the protocol and you're watching the patterns. That's what we want to look for is the patterns. And again, the November registered airplanes, it's pretty rare that we really find anything that we have to write up, which is great because nobody likes paperwork. But it speaks to the level of training the pilots have. It's really phenomenal. Airlines come all over the world to the U.S. for training. Right. Yeah. So if the next time you fly, if you had a free choice and all the airlines charge the same price, Mm -hmm. what airline would you fly? Well, Mike, 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 I have the privilege of flying with United Airlines as a non-rev passenger. So if I'm going to fly free. (laughs) No, no. If if you had to pay. If you had to pay. I, I would research the airplane that is going to my destination. 
I would research the not only the company, but the airplane itself. I would uh, find out what times, is it convenient time for, for me, and okay, so, so on. so you'd look at the difference between Boeing and Airbus. They're both great. They're both great. I, I had the privilege of being in Toulouse, France a few years ago. Uh, our Rotary Club, actually, you're mm -hmm. a Rotarian. The Rotary Club had our national conference in Portugal. And so a few of us Rotarians, there's a flying Rotarian club within Rotary. <laughs> Anyhow, a few of us went up to Toulouse and went through their factory. Mm -hmm. And it's very impressive. And they were very cordial, very, very good to us. So, you know, Boeing and Airbus worked together on many, many systems and on many, many protocols, really. So, Tweet, if you had to tell our listeners one last thing about air travel, what would that be? Well, to summarize air travel, I think it's safe now. Uh, just plan ahead, think ahead, look online, know as much as you can about the airline you're going to fly on, about the airplane that's scheduled to fly, because they're all scheduled ahead of time, and be self-sufficient. Take everything you need, uh, drink, uh, food, water, everything with you, so you don't have to be asking anybody for anything. And that old last thing, I think our local sheriff says this too, is so important. If you see something, say something. Mm -hmm. Great. Thanks for joining us, Tweet. Right. You know, and if any of your listeners would like to email me, if you have some specific questions, I'm, I'm an easy email. It's my name, Tweet Coleman at gmail.com. It's T as in tango, W-E-E-T-C-O-L-E-M-A-N, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks very much, Tweet. Okay, thank you.